So Acts 17, verses 1 to 15. It's page 1113 in the Blue Bible, in the Blue Church Bible. It says, When Paul and his companions had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. But other Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas and in order to bring them out to the crowd. When they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other believers before the city officials, shouting, These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here, um, and Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they made Jason and the others post bond and let them go. As soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if, if, if what Paul said was true. As a result, many of them believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek men and many Greek women. But when the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, some of them went there too, agitating the crowds and stirring them up. The believers immediately sent Paul to the coast, but Silas and Timothy stayed at Berea. Those who escorted Paul brought him to Athens and then left with instructions for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. Thanks, Alex. Do uh, keep that open in front of you or switched on in front of you. I'm just going to pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for this amazing story in the book of Acts we get to share and be part of. And we pray today as we look at this, we wouldn't just understand the history, but you would speak to us and change us and form us. And the same spirit who is at work in Acts will be at work in us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I don't know how you spent Easter Sunday. Uh, I had COVID. I was very celebratory. Uh, but had you um, been Easter, uh, celebrated Easter in the 80s in the UK, you might have gone on what was called a March for Jesus. There's a Christian artist called Sophie Killingly, and she's written this cartoon saying, you know you grew up in the 80s in the church when on Easter Sunday your friends were on an Easter egg hunt, but you go on a March for Jesus. A March for Jesus, it's sort of hard even to explain now what it was. It was like lots of Christians got together and sort of made a lot of noise walking through the town, wanting everybody to tell them how great they were for being Christians. And uh, then we all gathered and sang in the town square. Now, looking at the world we live in now, I think we can imagine, we can't imagine doing that, really. Or if we did it, just being regarded as totally weird. I'll be honest with you, it was never normal behaviour. Uh, it was a sort of fad. But I remember when we did this in my town when I was growing up, like our town mayor came and said, well done you for like uh, spreading your faith in this lovely way. I think that's probably not what would be the result now if we tried the same thing, is my guess. Because I think it's much less common now 
to uh, for people to uh, appreciate and understand what we are saying about being a Christian. You know, we're Christians, we believe what it says in the book of Acts about being a Christian, that being a Christian is about trusting Jesus, being indwelt by his spirit, to listening to what the Bible says. And back in the 80s, there were lots of people who didn't believe that, but they had the sort of scaffolding in place that when they saw, oh, this isn't just a religion, it's a personal thing, they sort of were tempted to take that step. And we loved the march because it was like, look at us, we are part of the establishment round here. But that's not the world we live in now. Generally, if you're a Christian like the one I've just described, you really think this is a personal life-changing thing, you'll be viewed with suspicion rather than acceptance. And no one will probably cheer you walking through town singing about Jesus. Now, you will get Christians <clears throat> moaning about that. I'm not so sure. I'm not sure the world where a whole lot of people who thought they were Christians is better than a world where we get to introduce people to Jesus for the first time. But the point of all of that is to say that today, as Christians, the situation we find ourselves in is much more like that in the book of Acts. These chapters that we're looking at are opening up the story of the first time the power, the light and the purity of the gospel came into contact with the darkness of the world to whom God and the message about God was totally brand new news. And that's much more like the world that we live in now. And Josh showed us a couple of weeks ago that as light breaks out, that means evil will be exposed. Evil will turn on you as a Christian as you do that. But God will work through all of that drama to add a sort of low level be saving normal people. The people who are important will go a bit mad. They won't like you. But slaves and jailers and other normal people will trust Jesus, while governors are infuriated. And we need to see, as we look at Acts, that that will probably be the pattern. As we head into the world, that is more like Acts than ever. It will probably be that the powerful, the media, the government's, will not love us standing up for this personal trust in Jesus message. We can't assume we have a right to be listened to. No government is queuing up to say, well done, Christchurch Liverpool, here's some money. No one is giving you opportunities and saying, please evangelise your workplace. It's not how it works. The powerful people will be against the gospel as it goes out. We'll talk about that in a minute. But you will find that at the low level... Normal people who need grace and community and reality, they're very interested in trusting Jesus. They will find him through the Bible and the church. It won't be a march for Jesus with clapping or singing, but a sort of subversive, unrespectable movement forming around the call of this unrespectable king. As we saw in the last passage, this respectable tradeswoman, Lydia, suddenly finding herself in the midst of all this trouble. And as the gospel continues to go out into, I guess, what we could call a pagan world, a world where there are lots of beliefs that aren't Christian, it's the same pattern that we see. At the big level, impressive people are not impressed. So if you're wanting to be respectable, you can forget that. But as you look lower down, in the world's eyes, less important people love meeting Jesus in the Bible.
this is the world we live in as the gospel encounters an alien culture. So here's the first thing that we see. Power is threatened, but people believe. Here's my experience. Most of the Christians, I say most, important qualifier, most of the Christians that I have met are quite nice. Most of them. I mean, I know some of them are a bit strange. Some of them can be a bit irritating. And maybe your experience has been very different. Maybe you've met some really terrible Christians, and I can only apologize for that. But by and large, I find that the people who've been saved by Jesus, they generally like want to be quite kind and nice. Which makes it very confusing to me at first. There's all of these powerful societies in the world. This is a picture of North Korea. They have absolute power over their populations, these governments. And for some reason, they're incredibly threatened by Christians. It's weird, isn't it? Because I guess you could go around the Christian's house and you wouldn't find any grenades or machine guns. You'd find like Bibles and crucifixes and other stuff that doesn't seem very threatening. And if you do give Christians freedom, they tend to do, you know, very threatening things like sing together and study the Bible and shock horror, help poor people. You know, occasionally they organise a noisy march in the street, but that is annoying at most. And yet this gentle activity of preaching, loving the poor, loving your neighbour, singing sometimes, giving up your lives for the sake of others, selling stuff to help people, years translating the Bible for people in their own language, moving to unattractive areas to plant churches, they all seem quite nice. But people with power somehow perceive this as a threat. And wherever you go in the world, you'll find them crushing, imprisoning, and killing Christians. That's what we see here in Acts 17. As you go into a world that doesn't have Christian scaffolding, no matter how kind and gentle and patient you are, and you should be all of those things, quite a lot of powerful people are not going to like you and what you say, no matter what. It's strange, but true. And it feels strange because I'm like, what threat is little old me to you powerful people? Now, what threat are the house churches of China to the Communist Party? What threat were the first Christians to Nero? What threat were the tiny Christian groups in Saudi Arabia to that government? What threat are they? And yet they bring this hatred down on their heads. Well, as Paul heads to Thessalonica, he does his normal pattern. He heads to the synagogue, which is a gathering of Jewish people, and those known as God-fearers, that's people who aren't ethnically Jewish, but some have some belief in the gods of Israel, and Paul gives his normal talk. It's like a running joke in my family, people, and probably with people who've been in this church for any length of time, I get, like, can't think of any new sermon illustrations. People are like, oh yeah, I've heard that one before. Well, let me tell you, when it was Paul the Apostle, it was the same talk every time. Everywhere he went, this is his talk when he goes to the synagogue. You can read it in Acts 17. The first point, the scriptures say a king will come to rule everything. The synagogue agreed with that. Secondly, they say this king had to suffer and die. They weren't quite so sure about that, but he showed them from the scriptures. And then thirdly, Jesus is this king, the Messiah. A lot of them not very happy with that. But at the low level, some of the Jewish people thought he was right. 
and a lot of devout Greeks, God-fearers, people who were Greek but interested in this Jewish religion, and also some leading people, but did you notice, as in Philippi, leading women? At that time, that was not a powerful group of people, women. So it was these odd religious people who were interested in this little sect, plus some women who became Christians. Well, then it kicks off. Some of the Jewish people do not like this at all, and they raise a rabble. Shame I don't have my sound effect. People here, and they go to Jason's house, who presumably was a Greek who'd become a Christian, and try and drag Paul and Silas out. And Paul and Silas weren't there, so instead of leaving Jason alone, they drag him out and some other Christians. And here is the interesting thing. Here's the accusation they make. They say, they are all defying Caesar's decree, saying, there is another king called Jesus. Now, there's loads of hypocrisy in this, because most of these people, they didn't accept Caesar's rule either, so they're just getting them into trouble. But remember the talk that Paul gave? It was his standard synagogue talk. There's a king in the Old Testament. He has to suffer and die. Jesus was that king. It's weird, isn't it? It just sounds that sort of like a Bible nerd talk, which it was. It was aimed at a group who had to study Jewish law since they were knee high. If I gave that talk here, most people who are at this church every week would be like, yeah, yeah, get that. Yeah, Jesus, Old Testament, fulfilled. Yeah, good. Thumbs up. Paul didn't mention politics. He never mentioned Caesar. It's pretty clear from the way he behaves. He has no interest in overthrowing the government. He's following that Jesus in that, who said, my kingdom is not of this world. And so anyone who tells you we should work towards having a Christian country or a Christian government, they've moved quite far on from the original message. But still, the people in power clocked the truth. The Jews who didn't like Paul realized how they could get him into trouble. What his nerdy scripture talk was making clear, there is a ruler who's higher than Caesar. He was just making a point about the Bible. Jesus is the king of everything. But in an alien culture, there are some people who will understand, you're saying there's someone in charge of us. And we don't like that. Powerful people, even ones with absolute power, like some of the countries we've been talking about, they hate humble Christians because they get this implication. These people, they actually believe this book. They live this way because they think we're not really in charge here. And as the gospel of Jesus' kingship comes into contact with an alien culture, it's like fire and water, it steams. Because these cultures already have their own ways of deciding right and wrong. So even if you gently, kindly explain Jesus is the Messiah, you're saying, whatever way you're deciding at the moment, you're wrong. There's one king, Jesus. Now, interesting, if you're the type of person, this is a bit like me, I quite like conflict. (laughs) And so some of this appeals to me. I'm like, yeah, let's go out there and offend everybody. But did you notice Paul is not heading in saying, hey, everyone, Caesar's an idiot. He's pretending to be God. Jesus is the mighty king. 
And no one is asking you to do that in your school or hospital or lecture theatre, to stand up and say, hey everyone, the godless structures are wrong, Jesus is the true leader. No, the method is to quietly introduce interested people to Jesus from the Bible. That's the way the church engages with godless cultures. It's quite quiet. He goes to find people who look like they're interested and talks about it. But just be clear, even if you do that, people in power will find it threatening. I don't want to wade into the ethics of healthcare, which is a big issue for lots of people in our church. It's definitely right not to force your faith on anybody if you're a healthcare professional. But I do get lots of you feel that even in the moments where people need hope, they need you to speak the truth about Jesus. There is a powerful foresight there saying you must not do that. And you do need to work out what is the implication of saying there is a greater God than your diversity statement. There is more real hope than the care you are providing. But let me warn you, as you think that through, even as you do it gently, only doing it with people who are interested, not forcing your faith on anybody, somebody in power will find that threatening. But don't forget the other brilliant things that also happens. Interested people, who are mostly people without power and influence, odd people, they are drawn to this story of the king who is higher than the power that they see. Unlike the powerful, they don't have much vested in this system. It doesn't work for them. Maybe that's why they're so open. Who knows? But that is what you will find. If you look for people with spiritual interest, they probably won't be the people who are really gaining from the way the world is at the moment. But they are longing for the news that there's a better king. We uh, have a mission partner from our church. I can't even say what country she's in because it's one of the countries that runs like the ones I've just described in their attitude to Christians. And uh, she experiences the reality of that hatred just for being a humble Christian every day. And yet every day, every prayer letter we receive, everything that we get back from her, quietly, gently, She is introducing people that we'll never hear of on the news to a Jesus they really want to know about. It's slow. It's hard. No one respects it. But that's the way the kingdom goes when it meets an alien culture. The gospel, God, casts down the powerful and lifts up the humble. And the mighty don't seem to be cast on yet. The mighty seem to cast on Christians quite a lot. But isn't it so ironic in a way, the powerful in an attempt to preserve their own power, they miss the reality. Whereas the weak and the excluded, they're offered the chance of the real deal. So don't be too bothered or pressured or worry too much if no famous people are Christians if there's not a very big march for Jesus in our town, if there's no billboard campaigns, we don't have to step out to try and threaten the status quo. 
We just need to wake up, to be alive, to look out for places where interested people are, and like Paul, open the Bible and show them the truth from there. But do be warned, no matter how humble and non-controversial you are, sooner or later people in power won't like it. If you're in this Christianity thing for respectability and honour and to get your kids in good schools and to baptise your middle-class values, you're in the wrong game. What you will get, though, is people mostly overlooked by the world who are hungry for a new ruler, meeting him in the Bible. Just let me say a quick aside about politics, because I could be sounding here like uh, Christians should have no interest in uh, political uh, issues, and I definitely don't think that. We've just done a Sunday evening series all about that. We should as we become Christians, let that change our political opinions and our votes and how we engage with the process. Of course we should. But we do need, as we do that to honour God, because we honour God with every part of our lives, need to accept we're probably not going to change powerful people and so not get distracted from the main task, which is to introduce Jesus to people through the Bible. Now, that does challenge political power. You're going to have to make some political statements once you trust Jesus. But our main point isn't to change the government. And it definitely isn't to do that if side by side our life isn't marked by quietly finding interested people and helping them meet Jesus. And sometimes Christians have got that in the wrong order thinking let's change the government first and then we'll help people meet Jesus. And that's not the way around that it works. And if you're here today and you're not a Christian, this offer of a new ruler is really for you. Not a ruler who builds a system for himself and his gain, which is the rulers we're used to, but a ruler who loves the powerless and honours and loves them and gives them his spirit. That's the offer that Jesus is making. Well, the story continues. Poor old Jason has his money taken off him, and so they send Paul and Silas away. I mean, I think that story is uh, covering quite probably a sort of awkward discussion to verse 10. As soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea after they've been dragged out into the street and had all their money taken off them. I think there probably was a little bit like, nah, you know, thanks, guys. Do you want to go somewhere else now? That would be fine with us. Anyway, they send them away to Berea, And we later read in Paul's letter to this young church in Thessalonica, he's gutted about having left them, but this church does survive and thrive and sends missionaries themselves throughout the known world. So good little lesson as an aside there. Not all things that look like failures are really failures. And they head off to Berea. And this is the second and much shorter thing we see. Religion is jealous, but people meet Jesus in the Bible. Paul turns up, goes to the same place, the synagogue, gives the same talk. I'm really jealous of Paul, actually. He must have had no sermon prep time at all. Uh, maybe that's what you get to do if you have itinerant ministry, you're place, 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 just give the same talk all the time. Anyway, uh, Luke, writing Acts, is more impressed by the Bereans than the Thessalonians because they actually search the Bible for themselves. And many of them, Jewish people, Greek men, leading Greek women, become Christians. And there's signs of making a real impact in Berea But the people who stirred up the trouble in Thessalonica hear what's going on and they come down to do the same thing again in Berea. And so the Christians immediately send Paul away again to Athens, which is quite far away. So they're like, really? Just get out of the area now. (laughs) We've had enough. 
to avoid another attempted lynching. Presumably, as the slightly uh, lower profile figures, uh, figures, Silas and Timothy, can quietly, more quietly teach these new believers about the Bible. And what's going on there? Well, I had a friend at university who became a Christian from another religion. And he tried to organize a small event for people from his previous faith to tell them what he now believed and why. The complex factor in this story is that his father was quite a famous political figure. And so the news of his conversion became, well, news. And uh, so he started to draw attention to himself and this event he was organising to talk to people who were in the faith that he grew up in and all he wanted to do became this massive controversial drama that a lot of people wanted to like gag in on to see what was going on. Now as powerful secular people sort of poo-pooed him doing this and said, oh it's terrible, you shouldn't be doing this. But it was interesting as well, the other people who really hated him doing this were powerful people employed by the university as spiritual advisors, Christian voices, chaplains, they were against it. They tried to get him cancelled. And why was that? Because I think they were a little bit like, oh, he's sort of rocking the boat with this like subversive version of the faith that calls people to change their religion. And honestly, they spent most of their time like giving seminars that no one really wanted to go to. So I think they felt a bit jealous about this high-profile convert that everybody wanted to hear. Now, my memory of it is that, as in Berea, normal people were quite happy to look at the Bible and see what it says and weren't really offended by that. It was the religious people who didn't like it. So don't be surprised or put off if religious people you might expect to be on your side, actually, don't want you to rock the boat by bringing Jesus into it. He is a very disruptive figure. Even religious people find that. Don't be put off by that. Years ago in Liverpool, actually, and cities all over the UK in the 1920s, there was an evangelist called D.L. Moody who came from America and ran these huge campaigns where thousands of people became Christians. And as in Acts, it was thousands and thousands of working class people who attended and uh, had their faith brought to life and all the sort of uh, church high sort of church people and um, all the sort of governors that they all thought he was a bit uncouth, this American coming to the UK and with his sort of folk religion. And I love this quote. Someone said to him, Mr. Moody, we do not like the way you do evangelism. And he said, I think the way that I'm doing it is better than the way you're not doing it. (laughs) Now, do you see what he was saying? He was like, all Christians are supposed to be doing this. It's fair enough, religious person, to have a go at me if you were doing it yourself. And I think I could become like that sniffy religious person, looking at other people doing evangelism in a way that's not really my cup of tea, and thinking like, oh, it's a bit embarrassing, a bit awkward. And I've got to say, the way they're doing it is better than the way I'm not doing it. Maybe you find that. Is there an embarrassing Christian in your workplace or someone on your street you feel like is a bit earnest? If you are not a Christian, I do think what I want to underline to you is that what's happening here 
in Acts is very different than the official religious civic religion you might see on the news or the royal family attending or anything like that. It's not an establishment thing, the gospel. That's a feature, not a bug. Living faith in Jesus is disrupts people who like organised religion. And I just encourage you, like the Bereans, to look at the Bible for yourself and you see what's right. If you prefer a more establishment faith, well, that's your choice. But don't be jealous of the activists doing it in the way that you wouldn't do it. But let's step back and look at the bigger story here. There is a way of the message about Jesus reaching cultures that don't know God that we have in our head that's wrong. We think someone up there, a powerful person, will make people think Christians are good. And when that happens, then I might share my faith. When the NHS changes to be more open to Christians, when the government respects religious freedom, when I'm in a lecture theatre with a lecturer who's sympathetic to me, when I'm established in my career, when this corrupt government is gone, then I might consider sharing my faith. It's just an excuse, isn't it, to never speak or get distracted into only campaigning for political changes. And Luke's record is that when the gospel comes into contact with godless cultures, it works the opposite way around. Christians, normal Christians, are filled by the Spirit and that overflows to others. And knowing Jesus, they head out into cultures who don't know God and they don't try and force everybody to change their mind. They look for people who might actually be interested and show those people the Bible. Usually those people are not the really like cool, trendy influencers that everybody else wants to talk to. Honestly, it's likely to be people who don't benefit from the current system and not people that you will gain respect by befriending. But that's how it should be, shouldn't it? The God, Jesus, that we worship became poor. He has a bias towards the poor and the excluded. That is where we should expect a response to Jesus. He said that respectability is not a thing he ever aimed for or got. We keep an eye out for people who might have some interest and we show them Jesus in the Bible. We actually expect people in power, people who benefit from the current system, to realise that's a threat and not to like us. I wonder if we have so little impact evangelistically because we're getting this the wrong way round. We want to establish respect with important people first and then maybe we'll share Jesus after that. Well, that's not the Jesus way. Jesus is the God who stepped outside the camp, the Bible says, who was pushed out and rejected by the people in power, but loved by tax collectors and prostitutes and sinners. And that's the story of the gospel spreading in Acts 2. Stop seeking popularity from important people. Start looking for needy and interested people who have nothing to offer you but are longing to hear that there's a kinder, loving regime above the one that we live in.
It's challenging. Like Jason, some people will drag you out and shame you. In fact, like Jason, people might even try and shame you by dragging out and shaming your friends. Poor old Jason had nothing to do with it. He was just friends with Paul. That's really hard. When the people you want to impress won't be impressed with you. But let me tell you this. As I go on as a Christian, as the Holy Spirit does his work in us, there is actually only one person I want to impress. I want to impress the God who stepped into humility for the sake of the poor and unimportant. He's the one I want to be like. And those people, those people who want to find him in the Bible, they are around. We just need to look beneath all the people who are influential. But I want to be like him. One of those not impressive, not important and looking for others like that who matter to the God who became poor, saying, come and meet him in this book. Join this subversive anti-establishment movement. Yeah, you'll lose your respectability, but you'll live under the gentle rule of the king who serves. 